Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning dear saunterers. I'm sorry I'm a few minutes late. I'm running around trying to find a cable which I've lost. And I can't exactly say rejoice with me. I found the cable that was lost because I haven't found it. Anyway, here we go. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful day, the sound of the birds and your incredible love which sustains us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're right here with us now. We ask you to reveal Jesus to us in a whole new way today. Amen. Good morning, Kathy. Good to see you. So we have been, we've seen Jesus coming up before the council. We've seen him betrayed. We've seen Peter denying he knows Jesus. We've seen this wounding of the heart of Jesus, the human heart, and even the God heart of Jesus, wounded by the rejection of people who he loved and he invested his life in and who he shared meals with and shared adventures with and slept out in kind of on the highways and byways no doubt with some of these guys Peter and Judas and now they let him down in this most crucial moment of his entire life and then chapter 23 then it says then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate and they began to accuse him saying We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he he answered him, you have said so. And Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying he stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee even to this place. So Jesus is now in front of Pilate, the Roman governor, who who has the power of life and death, literally. He's a brutal man. He's known for his cruelty, his total disregard for people and their feelings and their needs and all the rest of it. And so is Jesus going to get anything like justice from this guy? And I'm sure the Jews thought, ah, If anyone will dispatch Jesus, Pilate will do it. Good morning, Wills and Alison and Fran. However, Pilate said to the chief priests and crowds, I find no guilt in this man, but they were urgent. And so there's this pressing kind of pressure on Pilate to do something because, um, yeah, 
He's he's like everybody else in this story is seems apart from Jesus. He's kind of needy and he wants approval and he wants kind of popularity. Anyway, when so the people are pressing him, Pilate declares him innocent. We're going to talk about that in a second. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean and whether he learned. Sorry. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod. Remember. Herod was a tetrarch, he was the ruler of a region um, of um, the nation of Israel. And he, at that time, he was kind of like a puppet king called, a, a, anyway, he was called a tetrarch. That was the, his official title. So he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. Now, if you remember in Luke chapter 9, we saw that as Jesus sent out the twelve and the fame of Jesus spread. Herod became perplexed as he heard these stories and he was kind of thinking, hmm, is this John the Baptist back from the dead or what's going on here? And so he was kind of starting to be intrigued by Jesus. So when he hears that he's in Jerusalem and he's been captured, verse 8 it says, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. And I don't think Herod was glad because he was thinking, finally, I can talk to Jesus about my sin and my soul. I'm sure Herod was thinking um, this will be interesting, a bit of entertainment in my rather dull life. I'll be able to see what kind of man this is and make some fun of him. Anyway, so he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. I don't think Jesus really had any time for Herod. He had killed his cousin. He was a brutal guy and I don't think Jesus had anything to say really. Verse 10, the chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. Can you imagine this scene? Herod sat there lounging in his big throne. Jesus is stood there in front of him, not saying anything. And Herod's asking him all these questions, some probably very intelligent, some probably very stupid and ignorant. And the meanwhile, this background racket of the Jewish leaders heckling and saying this and that and the other and trying to put their their opinions forward vehemently and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him this is horrible and then arraying arraying him in splendid clothing he sent him back to Pilate so we read somewhere else that he put a purple robe on him and that these soldiers were not known for their kindness and their sensitivity and they would have been brutal to Jesus you can only imagine and so there he is dressed in this purple robe, being pushed and shoved and spat on and kicked and beaten, insulted and interrogated, ugh, yelled at. Pilate then, so um, then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. What an odd little detail Luke puts in. For that before this, they had been at enmity with each other. And it's just interesting to me that Jesus coming into their lives brings them together in a strange way. And yet you can't say that this is a healing of the relationship. These guys are just cynical, evil politicians and uh, they're just kind of out for what they can get. And yet somehow they've got this kind of the circumstance of Jesus has thrown them together and they become friends having not liked each other before. So Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. 
and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. So Pilate once again is declaring Jesus innocent. What's Pilate doing? He is he's acting within the boundaries of his job, where he's the guy who makes the judgment. Now, anything Pilate does after declaring Jesus innocent is going to be a an act of brutality and us like a war crime. It's a miscarriage of justice. So Pilate has gone on record twice as the Roman governor saying, this man is innocent. I find no fault with him. Now, when the Passover feast, which was just in process, was going to happen, the family brought a lamb that they'd been cultivating and taking care of that was spotless and without blemish. And the lamb was sacrificed and its blood was put on the doorpost of the house. Then we said, didn't we, um, I think a couple of days ago, the family ate the lamb and partook of this roast lamb meal with unleavened bread. And it was all to commemorate what had happened back in the days of the Exodus from Egypt. Now, Jesus is the Lamb of God. John the Baptist says so. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We must never forget that was why Jesus had come, to take away the sin of the world. He was the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the earth. So he'd already, God had already determined that Jesus was going to be the Lamb and that he would be sacrificed and everything else would point to him all the way through scripture, now Jesus is being examined and found faultless. Can you get that? So just as the priest examined the lamb and the priest said, this lamb is spotless, this lamb is suitable for the sacrifice, this lamb, the lamb of God, was being scrutinized by the earthly courts and found spotless. Pilate says, there is nothing, there is no charge I don't find this man guilty of any of your charges, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Well, even punishing him, if he's innocent, is a miscarriage of justice. So what Pilate's talking about is giving him a good flogging, and the flogging that these Roman soldiers did was utterly brutal. And I haven't got time to go into it all, but they had whips with pieces of metal on the end of the each flail the multiple flails on the end of this whip pieces of shards of bone and they would keep flogging until the skin came off and the back the flesh was exposed and the internal organs and the bones of the the victim were torn you know and it's just brutal so Pilate's saying i'm going to let this guy go because he i'm going to punish him sure i'll give you that but I'm going to let him go. I'm going to miscarry justice because he's innocent, but I'm going to do it for you because you're keeping on to me. Good leader, Pilate. Verse 18, but they all cried out together, away with this man and released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more. 
desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. Pilate says it three times. This man is innocent. There is no guilt in him. He's not guilty of the charges you bring. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. What's he doing? He's giving in. The ruler is being ruled by the mob. This powerful governor who represents all the might, all the strength and brutality of the Roman Empire is pressured and swayed to give in to the mob. And we understand here, this is really important for us, we need to understand the power of the mob. And the mob, trust me, is influencing society massively in this day. And those who make laws and those who govern nations are being swayed by their need to get votes and by their need to remain in power to adopt all kinds of decisions which previous generations would have, they would literally be shocked and horrified at some of the things that have been conceded in recent days and become law, written down in law. Right, but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their man, that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison. This is Luke's comment. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. You can imagine Luke just thinking, I cannot believe this really happened. He doesn't get into any kind of rant, but he just makes this beautifully succinct statement which just sums up the whole insanity of the situation verse 26 as they led him away they seized one simon of cyrene bear in mind jesus has been up all night he's been questioned he's been pushed and shoved and beaten he's literally been stripped naked he's been ridiculed he's had his hair pulled his beard pulled he's been spat on he's been beaten to within in inches of his life by the flogging and now he's supposed to carry this cross beam which could have weighed up to 56 kilos apparently you imagine trying to lug that on a back that's literally torn open by the whipping and so they grab they press gang simon of cyrene who was coming in from one of the in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind jesus and there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him well that's good is it? I guess. It means that Jesus has still got some sympathy and some followers. Good morning, Pat and Mike. Lovely to see you yesterday. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Right now, Jesus is being a pastor. He's being a shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's literally at the point of death and he's caring about these women and he's prophesying. And he's saying, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nurse. And then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? And Jesus is saying, girl, ladies, women, 
sisters, you know, this is lovely that you care about me, but actually you should be caring more for yourselves and your children because what's coming on you is a dreadful, dreadful thing. And even my execution is the precursor. It's the trigger that's going to bring about this ultimate destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And I'm not quite sure what this comment about the wooden being green and dry means particularly, but maybe someone's got a comment they want to put up about that. Verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, we know it as Golgotha, it was apparently looked like a skull from a particular angle. They crucified him and the criminals, sorry, they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. Pilate wrote that inscription, didn't he, in three different languages, so everyone passing by could see it. It's just, ah, oh, this is just such an incredible moment. So these criminals on each side, and Jesus in the middle, we have this archetypal image now, don't we, of the three crosses on the hill with the, you know, the two convicted criminals on each side of Jesus and him there and he's still being ridiculed and mocked and the rulers are all there scoffing oh man don't you want to just get in the oh when I read these stories I just want to kind of run them over I just horrible oh this just cynical mocking derisory despising what God has given this incredible spotless lamb hanging there and still they keep on. These guys have hardened their hearts so much against God, there is no redemption for them, is there? <clears throat> if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a, also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that profound? There giving him even the other criminal on the cross next to him is abusing him and saying are you not the christ save yourself and us you know he's like kind of like come on just get us out of this mess if you are who you say you are i don't think you are and the other one just rebukes him but then jesus in this incredible moment of tenderness receives the sin the criminal on the cross receives him and says tonight you're going to be with me in paradise today you'll be with me in paradise how amazing is that so as jesus is about to exit this world and he's in the most extreme suffering he's carrying the sins of the whole world upon himself 
yet in that moment of utmost agony, he has mercy on one sinner. Just hear it on one sinner who repents. One sinner. Wow. Verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed, so while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. I have heard it said that <clears throat> the Romans kept the, um, they crucified people and it was like an offering to the sun god. But even in that moment, the devil is not going to get the victory. He's not going to get the joy. And so God just switches off the sun. I know he didn't switch off the sun, but he covers the sun over for three hours and it's darkness. So it was now the sixth hour. That's noon. That's midday. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Three hours of total darkness. Why was there total darkness? Not only is the sun god or whatever deity the Romans are worshipping going to get the credit for this moment, but they have extinguished the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In this act of brutality, the chief priests and the scribes and the rulers were saying, we don't want the light of the world. We don't want to see where we are. We would prefer darkness. And the scripture says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so in that moment, God is speaking in every single language imaginable. There's three languages over the cross, but there's a whole load of other languages. Even creation is collaborating with the message saying, come on, look what you're doing. See this moment. This moment is marked for all time. This is an eternal moment. And so at, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now they say this, this curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies had become something like um, a foot thick with different layers of material and skin and everything that they put on this, this added to this curtain to um, just keep the holiness in the holy, holy, holy of holies and, and keep everybody out of it. And out of that place except the high priest who would go in there once a year this was in the temple and literally in that moment of Jesus on the cross the, this veil this curtain that's about a foot thick is torn from top to bottom this is more impressive than tearing a phone book in half an old style phone book this is this is God saying now the way is opened up into the holy place and the curtain of the temple was torn into. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Verse 47. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. So another voice declaring the innocence of Jesus. Another voice saying this was a gross miscarriage of justice on a human level and yet on a God level this is justice being done. This is the payment being paid for every inhumanity, every sin, every violation of God's law and a way being opened up into the very presence of God with the um, veil torn into how amazing is that and so verse 48 and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle 
When they saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So there'd been this massive crowd. They'd followed Jesus. They'd been weeping and wailing. So there were some people who had remained loyal to him and they followed him to this point. And now they're beating their breasts and returning home. And yet some of his friends and the women, his female disciples, stayed there and continued to watch from a distance. Verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. So this was a true disciple within the Jewish kind of leadership community who had dissented from their actions in, in murdering Jesus. And so this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus and then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Wow. What a monumental chapter. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you endured all of this for us so that there would be a way for us to enter your holy presence, not just once a year, but every single day of our lives. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We honour you today, Lord Jesus. Amen. Just one thing to say when you're having a difficult time. The writer to the Hebrew says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that you do not um, lose heart. Take care, have a great day. Consider Jesus. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him, but more than anything else that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. And, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much. <laughs>